Hi, it's really great to have you with us. I'm Rob Porter. My wife Heather and I have the amazing privilege of being the senior pastors at Kingdom Culture Church in Burpengary, Queensland. We have an incredible preaching team, and I hope that this message will encourage and bless you as you listen. Feel free to, to sit, um, but as we go on, also feel free to come and kneel down the front, lay down the front, stand the side with your hands raised uh, as you feel led. Uh, I'm preaching on the end of Acts, I'm preaching on the topic of revival, uh, and so the only barrier between you and the presence of God between you and that revival uh, infilling of God's power and presence is just all here. So all I'm doing tonight as I'm reading from the Scripture, as I'm teaching out of it, is trying to unlock those things. Any of the channels in your brain that have gone horizontal, we're just flipping them back up to vertical, okay? So if at any point you're like, I'm getting it now. <laughs> they're all they're all vertical. Feel free to come out, receive. Uh, you don't need me for the for the rest of that. But my message tonight is how to be a revivalist. Point one, we've already hit it. Be a revivalist. (laughs) It's really simple. There's a lot in it, but it's really simple. And like I said, I needed to repent of uh, being embarrassed by that idea. Yeah, because of how other people have lived it. And so we read through Acts and it can be read through like it's supposed to take place in a week. That's how the kind of environments that I've been in. Acts takes a week. We're going to see 20 people saved a week. God's just going to do it. We just pray and and Jesus does all the work. But actually, Acts takes 40 years. 40 years is actually a lot longer than a week, but it's also not a lot of time. Just in time, Judah is coming up the back here with Julio. We've got the other little kids, right? Jackson... I'm going to miss a bunch if I try and try and name them off. But, you know, you're here, if you're here in the morning, you'll see them running around face first into each other's heads. <laughs> when we say it takes God, like took God 40 years to do what he did in the book of Acts, what we're saying is we could believe that by the time they're my age, Brisbane is saved. And I think that really, that stirs me up, right? Because that, that changes the context quite a bit. Because that's not quit your job, uh, go and lay on the floor and let God do the work. That is like, that redefines the way I look at my life. That work redefines the way I look at working, family, friendship, community, church. That redefines everything because it's actually something to put my hand to, something to do day in, day out, that God would act, that if we lent into God what He'd be able to do over the lifetime of, of half a lifetime of these kids. Yeah. I'm 37, by the way, if you're trying to figure out the math. So Pastor Fred uh, preached from this verse this morning. But Acts 28. So Paul's just been shipwrecked, as you do, and he's been bitten by a snake on the hand. Anyone here been bitten by a snake? Sorry. Anyone here been bitten by a snake? (laughs) So he's been bitten on the hand by a snake. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, fastened on his hand, uh, sorry, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. No doubt. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. 
He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune came to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And this is so indicative of Paul's ministry. He becomes a Christian and generally the crowd is either he is a villain or he is a god. Right? So I've got an example of both from my own life, slightly less epic. But when I was working in a warehouse uh, at Smoko, one of the... That's what it's called in warehouses, Catherine. So Smoko. I wasn't smoking. It was just I was eating like a sausage roll. But it is called Smoko. It is an official unit of time. Anyway. One of the guys at work started asking me about my faith, being Christian, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I was started talking to him. Very resistant. But his girlfriend, super, super open. Super, like, receptive. And so I'm just kind of like, all right, talking to you. He is trying to have an argument while I'm just trying to focus on this conversation while other people are commenting all around me. Well, someone literally stands up on the table and in the tune of the Pink Floyd song, is like, hey, preacher, leave those kids alone. Like an absolute chaos, nonsense sort of situation, which is actually very similar to what Jesus and Paul would have experienced when they're preaching in a synagogue. This really like disruptive environment, not conducive to, to paying good attention. But there's, there was such this vibe that what I was doing there, answering this young girl's questions was something wicked, something evil, something not okay. And that's kind of the way the narrative is now. I remember when I was first a Christian, the general response was, I don't believe what you believe, but it's so good that you believe it and you're wanting to live to a higher moral standard. That's not the narrative anymore. Now it's like, why do you believe that evil book that makes you do evil things? So they've defined the narrative that way. The other example, working in the same warehouse, uh, there was a uh, young new age gentleman and I would just talk to him in his language. So what did you do on the weekend? Oh, I meditated. Oh, okay, what's meditation look like for you? Oh, it's like getting into a room of people, we all lay down, someone guides us through it, etc. Oh, that's so strange, because when I meditate, it's just like so personal between me and God. And so uh, I'd find it so weird to do that, like in a room or being led, but that's so cool. And so through that kind of language, he actually came along to see me preach at youth um, back before we had um, child safe. Uh, and, you couldn't, and you could invite an adult along to youth. And I was praying for people and they were, you know, doing all the things, falling down and, and feeling the, the, uh, uh, the presence of God. God was moving in their lives and their bodies were responding physically. And so at Smoko, uh, the next day, he was talking to me about it and he's like wanting to talk about like that power, that power, that power. It's like, wow, that power in you, that power that you were moving, that power that you were doing. I was like, no, 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 it was just, that was just God. I was just like a bit of pipe, right? And he's like, man, it's so weird. Like, you, um, you, you don't know all the stuff, but you move in so much power. And I was kind of a little bit like, well, if I'm the one moving in all the power, maybe you're the one who doesn't know the stuff. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I had to reframe the narrative for him. I'm not a hero here. I'm not a superstar. And so what's so important in the midst of revival, where it's gone wrong, where people have kind of gone off track, is they don't know who they are in the midst of the miracle. They don't know who they are in the midst of what God is doing. They see themselves either as a hero or it doesn't even get moving because we're embarrassed to be a Christian because we believe what the world says about us. And so we actually have to know who we are, not be embarrassed to be a Christian. Yes, talk in all humility, humility, all grace, all etc. 
but not, not embarrassed. Yeah, that's what I believe. This thing, this thing right here. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to be nice to you about it. It's not going to make me a jerk, hopefully. I hope not, but I believe it. But also, when things are going, when things are kicking off, not losing the script, not becoming, I'm the hero, I'm the God, I'm the greatest, look at all the things that I can do. Those two things will stop it right in its track. So we need to know who we are within the message. So Pastor Fred spoke on this story this morning. He didn't actually mention, like, did they get to Rome? Yeah, they got to Rome. They got to Rome. Yay. They managed to leave Malta and they got to Rome. And while in Rome, Paul addresses the Jews. He actually has to invite them over because he's in house arrest. He's not actually allowed to go to the synagogue. And he gives what's called the, the, the last rejection occurs. So he gives the last ditch effort to preach to the Jews that, hey, Jesus, etc. And some of them believe, but most of them don't. And scholars call it the last rejection because from then on, it's pretty much a Gentile-only message that Paul is, is focused on. And so this is what he says. He preaches, he quotes uh, Old Testament to them. And some were convicted by, convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had one, man, one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and with and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. So the question here is, do we refuse Him? When God's moving, when God's doing a thing, when God's making it obvious, do we refuse Him? This verse in Isaiah here talking about seeing and hearing. Basically what it's saying is none are more blind than those who choose not to see. And none are more deaf than those who choose not to hear. And so we can get very uh, personally uh, affected by what God is doing. And we can see it and we can hear it and we can close our ears and our eyes to what's going on because of preconceived notions because of expectations, because of hurt, because of rejections of the past, because of whatever. That's what left me in a state of being a little bit embarrassed about the idea of revival. And of course, that would I wouldn't be able to tell you because it was probably subconscious, but there would be times where I'd been closing my ears and closing my eyes to what's happened to protect myself from something that I thought was going on but wasn't. And so do we refuse God when He's moving? Do we refuse Him? We can't, <laughs> we can't be a revivalist and refuse what God is doing. That just doesn't work out. Yeah. And so what happens next? This is the last bit of Acts, the last sentence. Sums everything up. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance until they cut his head off five years later. Oh, great. Oh, that's... Oh, no, that's not in there. Uh, but that's what happened. He preached for two years, two years, and then three years later. And actually, when Luke was writing this, Paul had been dead a while. And I find it interesting that in this account in Acts, he doesn't really care. This isn't a terrible story about poor Paul who was dragged from place to place and then murdered. 
This is someone who got to spend two years preaching in Rome. That's the crescendo of the story. That's the point of the story. And can I say, I think that was probably the story in Paul's heart as well. That he got to preach in Rome. Because I'm going to be really honest with you. This is going to be some bad news. Um, You will die. Mm. That's a thing. I will die. You will die. Everyone's going to die. As we open up the altar. No. (laughs) You will. It's a factor. What are you going to spend your life on? What are you going to spend your life towards? Is Is it some immortality project? Is it trying to do something to be remembered? Is it trying to do something to vainly try and hold on to living for as long as you can? Or is it going to be, like Paul, towards, I gotta get to Rome, I gotta preach the gospel. So point three, preach in Rome. Preach in Rome. I've said this thing before, I've heard it said, I've repeated it, and it's super incorrect. But I've said that God works to turn a nation around through either revival and persecution. It's not quite a correct statement. God turns a nation around through revival. And when the church doesn't lean into what God is doing, the revival doesn't happen. The offer is given, we refuse. And so then persecution happens. And then through persecution, what happens? We kind of realize we've got to take this thing seriously. And some people stop taking it seriously. Some people who are lukewarm, they just go, nah, it was never my thing. But then some people actually fire up more. They become serious about it. They lean into God. They take up the offer. And so then God does the revival thing that was his plan right from day dot, right from the go, right from the jump. That's how God turns things around. So my question to you is when we hear and see the things that happen on the news, when we're scrolling through our feed and that opinion jumps out, of what the world thinks about us or what the world values or what's going on is our first response to fall on our knees and cry out to God for our nation or to post a retort on social media. What's your first response? Are we really believing that God can change a nation, turn things around when we cry out for revival or we're praying that we could have a really cool Sunday night? What's our heart for it? Is it actually that it would affect our neighbour? Is it actually that it would affect our city? Is it actually that it would, that would cause something to happen, be a catalyst of change in an environment to produce people's hearts to turn back to Him? What is our heart towards God? So if I could get the band back. It's pretty early, actually. But here's how to be a revivalist. One, be a revivalist. Two, do not refuse Him. Three, preach in Rome. And four, call out to God. And that's what we've been doing tonight. We've been calling out to God. This is why I didn't want to preach for super, super long. Because I don't want to go from like calling out to God to then like making a verbal appeal to call out to God for like (laughs) too much of a lot of time without giving the opportunity to call out to God. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to call out to God because God... See, here's the thing, right? It's more than just when I say like being a revivalist, it doesn't just mean that we were saved into a church that believes in revival or we're Pentecostal so we're better or it's the best expression of, of faith or it's the most fun. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we take the secular language of the world and we just try and preach revival through that secular language. 
There's no high like the most high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, oh, right, so like being a Christian is exactly the same as like being a drug addict. Is that how it is? Uh, no. <laughs> no, you do actually have to like serve on the car park team, sorry. Or uh, whatever, you know what I mean? Like we, we create this idea that, oh, if you, if you follow these precepts, these rules, do this thing, then your life will be awesome. And that is the best way to live a hedonistic lifestyle. Instead of going, hey, this is worth signing up for. God is worthy of following. God is worthy of being in covenant with. God is worthy of being in relationship with. And so we're gonna, if everyone wants to stand up, I'm actually gonna invite anyone forward who wants to come forward. We're gonna call out to God. I should have called up the band earlier because we'd probably already be crescendoing right now, but uh, that's okay. We're going to call out not that we would have a great experience, but we're going to acknowledge tonight that God is the same God that has always been. See, when I read through Scripture, this is what I see. I see a a, a person who is promised a family, right? God says, I will make you a father of, of, of many, many nations. Talks about family. They become a family. The family is promised to become a nation. The nation is promised to become a kingdom. The kingdom is promised a future king will come who will tear down the wall of separation between you and God. That guy comes and points to, you will be my church and I will send my spirit. Then there's us. And there's nowhere actually in Scripture where the people in that season are pointing to another season. We're still in that zone. We're still in the time that Jesus was talking about for His entire ministry, was preparing His disciples for. Was that His Spirit would come, that the veil would be torn, and it would enter in the era of the church and the era of His Spirit. And so that's His kingdom. That's when we say kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the the theme of this year, kingdom come. What are we saying? We're saying that you are the, the, what you did back then you will do now. The God you were back then is the God you're still now. Everything about your nature, your character, the way you move, the fact that you, it's not just, hey, we believe that people still fall down. It's not just, hey, we believe that people get healed. It's we believe that God is involved, that God is engaged, that God is powerful, that He's not dead, that He never fell asleep, that He's active and vibrant and involved and wants to be in your life. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's message. Our hope is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, we'd like to invite you to begin your journey with Him today. When we read Scripture, we see that sin separates us from God, but that our relationship with God is restored by salvation through Jesus Christ. This happens because God gave Jesus His Son to die in our place, to deal with the sin problem, and He rose again so that we can have eternal life with Him. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we can know salvation today. If you're ready to do that, and turn from a life of sin, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. 
I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time today, we would love to know and reach out to you and support you. So please contact us at hello at kingdomculturechurch.com.au.